Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching people with Jesus. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. If you're somebody who's new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to have you. Oftentimes at Crosswinds, we are talking about our mission is reaching people with Jesus. And I just wanted to share like one of the ways that people in the Crosswinds family has set about to reach people with Jesus. And it's just foster parenting. There's a number of parents that are on the other campus as well as this campus who have opened their home up to be foster homes, to take children into their home who really are going through tough times. Children who need to be around a godly parents and a godly family to be able to hear about Jesus and to know Jesus. And I just want to just mentioned that is really a great way that people in the Crosswinds family has taken up that vision of reaching people with Jesus. So that's one of the ways we do that. Now at Crosswinds right now we're in a series. This series is called Spiritual Health. Uh, We've also called it Spiritual Fitness. We've been looking at what are six ways that we can determine if we are in in a healthy Christian relationship with Jesus. And we talked about in this series there are six W's that define or describe a healthy Christian life. Those are six words that all begin with the letter W that sort of give us a shorthand of understanding spiritual health. And because repetition is the mother of all learning, at the beginning of each week of this series, I've gone through those words to remind you of them, hoping they'll help it stick. So this is the last week we're going to do that today. But I'd like you to ask you to take out your outlines and let's go through these six defining qualities of a healthy Christian. Number one is the word. A healthy Christian knows God through the applied word of God under the direction and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We've learned that a healthy Christian does not just content themselves to um, hear from the word of God on Sundays, but rather they actually open the Bible on their own during the week because they know that God's Holy Spirit will take the Bible and will apply it to their life, convicting them of sin and guiding them of truth. In fact, the scripture says that we're born again by the word of truth and that our spiritual life is sustained by the word of truth. So a healthy Christian always has their fingers in the text. The second W that we did in the second week is worship. A healthy Christian manifests a lifestyle of worship and prayer based on close daily communion with God. That week we looked at prayer in the Christian life and we learned that prayer in the Christian life, you remember, is just as essential as breathing is to human life. Hopefully you've learned to breathe all the time. And we breathe all the time because we need that all the time. And the same thing with a healthy Christian. We pray all the time when you're in a healthy relationship with Jesus. Uh, Maybe that's just in your heart. Maybe that's just when you're driving. Maybe that's when you're thankful for some things. Maybe that's when you're in need of wisdom and help. Constantly pray to God. Sometimes we play with our family. Sometimes we pray with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. But we're going to Jesus all the time because healthy Christians do that. We've also learned that week that healthy Christians worship. And worship, we saw, is not just something we do on Sundays when we sing, but actually the Bible defines worship as the choices we make in our everyday life throughout the entire week. So we worship Jesus by the choices we make that were intentionally made to please Jesus and to honor God. The third W we looked at is warmth. A healthy Christian engages in meaningful life-on-life relationships that reflect the love of God and leave people impacted and changed. And that week we talked about uh, the warmth we're talking about here is not temperature warmth. I think it was negative 16 degrees on the day we talked about this one. It's relational warmth. You know people are healthy Christians by the way they love one another. In fact, a church filled with healthy Christians have people that go out of their way to meet you, to love you, they genuinely care about you, and they build relationships with you. That's what a healthy Christian does. 
In fact, the church is to be like a fire outside on a cold day. You know how people are drawn to a warm fire on a cold day? That's what the church is to be in the world, where people from the world are drawn to the church because in the church they're loved and genuinely cared for like no other place they can find in the community they live. The fourth W was witness. A healthy Christian, we learned, lives under the commission of Christ to win and grow disciples, integrating outreach into all aspects of life. Today, we're in a culture where we're under pressure to don't say anything about Jesus. Keep Jesus to yourself. And I often say, well, it's separation of church and state. Well, that's not true. Healthy Christians tell others that need to know about Jesus about Jesus. They open their mouth and tell them about how much God loves them and how God offers to forgive them. That's what a healthy Christian does. Now, we learn that when we do that, will there be people who will mock us? Will there be people who will insult us and ridicule us? Definitely. But that's okay. We should expect that. Last week, we looked at this one. The W was works. A healthy Christian builds up the body of Christ through their spiritual gifts and passions. This is so important. Last week we saw that when anyone trusts in Jesus as their Savior, the Holy Spirit gives them at least one spiritual gift, sometimes more. And a spiritual gift is simply a way that the Holy Spirit chooses to energize that person, to empower that person to enable them to serve others in the church family. Maybe it's a teaching gift, maybe it's a serving gift, but all gifts we learned are important and all gifts are needed in the church. And this is the really cool thing we learned. Don't forget this. When people are in a church, and in the church people are using their gifts to serve one another in the church, the entire church starts to become more and more like Jesus. When people stay at home, when people choose not to connect with other Christians, when people don't get involved using their gifts and, being, and receiving the blessing of others using their gifts for them, what happens is they ultimately become less like Jesus because we need the church working together to become more like Jesus. This brings us to where we are this morning. The last W of what a healthy spiritual life looks like, it's this, wisdom. A healthy Christian manages their skills, money, and time, putting them under the lordship of Jesus. Wisdom is such an important thing for us to teach on and for us to learn about. Many times when we look at life, Christians will say, uh, let's just say it this way. They look at life with one lens. Is this choice sinful or not? And if the choice isn't sinful for me, then we think, well, it must be acceptable for me. Healthy Christians don't use one lens. Healthy Christians use two lens, lenses. Not only do we ask the question, is a choice sinful or not? But they also ask the second question, is this choice wise or foolish? And if it's a foolish choice, we want to avoid that choice. Now in the book, in the Bible, there is an entire book dedicated to wisdom and understanding how to make wise and practical choices in life. Many of you probably know what it is. It's the book of Proverbs. This morning, what we're going to do is spend most of our time in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to learn what the book of Proverbs has to say about wisdom. And I'd like to just begin by pulling this one verse out of Proverbs. It's Proverbs 8.11. It says, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. When it comes to wisdom, it is better than winning the lottery. If you could choose, can I, win the I can win the lottery, but I'll be a foolish person, or I won't even get in the lottery, but I'll be a wise person. Wisdom is far better than wealth. Nothing you desire, the Bible says, can even compare with her. Outside of having Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, nothing else 
in this life is better than learning to live wisely and to make wise choices. That is how incredibly important this is. Now, when we come to the Bible, it talks about wisdom in the Old Testament and it talks about wisdom in the New Testament. But uh, I need to give you this little bit of information. When the Greeks talk about wisdom in the New Testament, they talk about it slightly differently than the Hebrews do in the Old Testament. And you need to know that nuance of difference, especially when you're reading many of the New Testament verses. I have this in your outlines for you. In the New Testament, for the Greeks, wisdom meant understanding a concept or analyzing a problem. If you could understand how something that was complex worked or how people and situations worked with them, if you could understand that, they'd say, oh, you are a very wise person because of your insight into that problem. But the Hebrews, when they talk about wisdom in the Bible, they talk about it very differently. In the Old Testament for the Hebrews, wisdom meant skill in, get this, practical living. How can you make right choices in everyday life? And when we talk about wisdom this morning, this is the way we're going to be looking at it. How can we learn to make right choices in everyday practical life? Because that's the way the book of Proverbs focuses on this. So everything we're developing this morning is under the answer to this question. How can I make wise choices in real life? in everyday life. And they're all going to pretty much come from the book of Proverbs. So let's begin with the first one. Number one, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And that doesn't sound too original when you read Proverbs. It says this in Proverbs 9.10. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If you're ever going to begin to make good choices, if you're ever going to begin to make wise choices, begin to make right choices, it begins by realizing that God exists, that God is out there, we have to know him, and we have to live a life that is pleasing to him. Fools are the ones who say, well, I came from nothing. I'm going to nothing, and my life is about nothing. That is foolishness, not wisdom. Now, the, when you think about this, the problem is that means our entire world is actually filled with fools. When you go to school, what do they teach you in biology class? This thing called evolution? That you're just an overly developed piece of pond scum who's gone up the evolutionary chain and now has learned to play football. What? And then when you're done and when you die, you go to nothing is what they teach you. The Bible says that's complete foolishness when you think that God doesn't exist. Look out the window. Look at the vastness of creation. Look at the beauty of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. It should be obvious to everyone that God exists. And wisdom begins by realizing that and that we're accountable to him and we want to please him. In fact, I like what the Bible says when it comes to how we answer atheists. Proverbs verse, chapter 14, verse 1, it is the fool that says in his heart, there is no God. That's where the atheists are. They're foolish people. So wisdom looks at the world and says there is a God. I need to know him. I, I need to please him. And today, as I said, there's, the world is filled with foolish people who completely deny the existence of God. Closely tied to respect for God's existence is respect for God's word because God reveals himself not just in creation, which tells us of his existence, but he also reveals himself in the Bible, which is the word of God, which tells us the things we need to know. The Bible says this, You've exalted above all things, what? Your name and your word. Respect for God and his name and his existence is right up on the top. 
The next thing that's above everything else is respect for God's word because the Bible tells us what we need to know about God. And I should probably also add this, uh, that with respect for God and respect for his word comes a hatred of sin, comes a distaste for sin. Because when you have a wise person who does respect God and who respects God's word, usually the result after that is they have a distaste for sin. But when you have somebody who enjoys sin, somebody who delights in sin, that's a foolish person because they are not respecting God and having respect for God's word. Let me give you a couple other things that come out of this. What are benefits of beginning with fearing God as the beginning of wisdom? Proverbs 10.27 The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Uh, Do you want to live a long life? Or do you want to live a short life? Uh, Those who have no fear of God generally do not end well. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is what? It's riches and honor and life. You have no fear of God? Insist that you came from nothing, that you're going to nothing and accountable for nothing? It's not going to be riches, honor, and life. It's going to be poverty, shame, and death. That's the direction of your life when you're heading that way. So if the first thing we need to know about wisdom is it begins by learning fear of God and respect for God, the second thing we know about gaining wisdom is this. A wise person guards their minds. They are careful about what they put in their brains. They don't pollute their brains with dark stuff. They don't fill their brains with evil stuff. Because if they do, in the end, they will end up acting like fools. The scripture says this, once again, in the book of Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The Bible reminds us what we put into our brains will ultimately end up controlling our lives. What we have in our mind influences the direction of our life and the choices we make. So wise people are very careful to limit and guard what they put in their head. I think of the first, and by the way, that was also the last time I watched a horror movie. Some of you have heard this story before. I was a freshman at college, and the upperclassmen had this way. They wanted to prank you. They said, you know, freshman, you come out with us. We're going to watch a midnight movie on Friday night. And so we're like, yeah, cool. We're even going to buy your tickets. Oh, that's great. And so we get in there, and all of a sudden, I have no idea what I'm watching. And like halfway through, I'm like, oh, this is so disgusting. But of course, foolishly, I watched the whole thing. But the problem is, in all honesty, I didn't sleep for the next two days. I was sure there's a man with a hatchet in every single shadow that I saw because what I put into my mind controlled my thinking. It controlled my life. Folks, we know this. This is the way the media, whether that's social media or traditional media, works today. Most of the media is not about giving you information you need to make decisions. They're about giving information they want you to have so they can control your thinking and therefore they can control your choices because they know if they can control your mind, they can control your life. Now, isn't that the way it works? Can I get an amen? Definitely, we all know about that, which is why wise Christians guard what they put into their brains. Proverbs 4.23, this is a great verse to memorize. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Young people, I want to really encourage you, be ever so careful what you watch on YouTube. You know what I'm talking about right now. If you put a bunch of garbage in your head, it won't just be in your head, it will control the direction of your life. The same thing is true with TikTok. You know the stuff they stick in front of you on TikTok. They're dripping it into your head. The same thing is true with Snapchat. 
I'm being straight with you guys. Be careful what you put into your head. It will control your life. Here's another one. Proverbs 14, 18. It says, the simple inherit folly, that's foolishness, but the prudent, that is the wise, are crowned with knowledge. The key to understanding this is understanding the Hebrew word for simple. The Hebrew word for simple literally means, I put this in your outlines for you, it means an open door. A simple person does not limit what they allow in their minds. They read everything they want, they hear everything they want, they see everything they want. You know, it's, they just go to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing that gets put in front of them. There's no filter. There's no stopping point. That's a simple person. That is a foolish person because they're pouring a whole bunch of garbage into their head, which will then determine a dark direction for their life. So number one, wisdom begins with realizing God exists. We have to answer to him and want to please him. Number two, wisdom is guarding our thoughts and what we put into our brains. Number three, extremely practical here, a wise person chooses friends carefully. A big section of Proverbs is a father writing to his son. And a father telling his son, oh, choose your friends so carefully. Uh, one of those sections begins here in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, where the father writes, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You'll have friends, he says, that'll encourage you to do evil things, that'll encourage you to do wrong things. Son, you need to learn to say no. You have to learn to just say, I'm going to break with the group. I'm going to walk away. You need to get away from the people that are tearing you down. You need to only be with the people that are building you up. And I would add, building you up in Jesus Christ, not tearing you away from Jesus Christ. Friendships are super important for young people. They will either make you or they will break you. Now, if you're a young person this morning, you're listening to this. Yeah, I don't know so if I really know if I believe that. But if you're a parent right now, right? Can I get an amen from mom and dads? Oh, yeah. Because we know you can raise your child solidly in your home, but they could get into a bad group of friends when they get to high school or they get to college, and they just sort of fit in, and all of a sudden they get torn down. They start acting like ways you've never seen them, never raised them. Where is it coming from? It's because they're trying to be like their bad friends. But we also know that if our children end up with a set of good friends, a set of godly friends, it is sweet to watch because they all of a sudden start sharpening one another. They all of a sudden start improving one another. You're like, where did you learn that? Uh, well, where is this coming from? Oh, my friends and I were talking about this. We, we, were, we were improving one another and growing together. That, my friends, is what you want, a good group of godly friends. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Now, folks, I want to be honest. Sometimes, especially if you're a young adult, you may not be able to find good friends. You may not be able to find godly friends. And here's where you face a really tough choice. Because at that moment you say, well, I still want to go out with people on Friday night. I still want to hang out with a group of people on Saturday night. But I find when I go out with them, I end up making dumb choices with them. Here's what the challenge is. Are you willing to say no? Are you willing to say, my Friday nights, my Saturday nights, they'll be alone until I can find good and godly people that I can call my friends? That is hard. But I want you to know, it is when you're willing to say no and you're willing to be alone on Friday night and alone on Saturday night, that is when you will grow most in Jesus Christ. Those are some of the best times of spiritual growth in your life. You look back on them and so be thankful you made those choices and didn't avoid those choices. Let me get back to Proverbs chapter 1 where it was about a father's advice to his son to stay away from poor friends. Look what it continues in the next verse and says this. If they say, oh, 
Come with us. Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, that's death, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. Sounds like this guy's friends are MS-13 gang members, right? Pretty nasty stuff. It continues, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. And then notice this section. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. If you have friends who are making bad choices, who are making sinful choices, you must understand it will eventually come back to bite them. And if you're associating with them, it'll come back to bite you. There is no way to escape that. Now, you say, what's being talked about in these verses? This idea of friends working together against somebody to hurt them, to steal from them, and even to kill them. That doesn't happen nowadays. It doesn't happen in our world. Oh, yes, it does. You've been following the news this week about a freshman in New Jersey, a girl who killed herself. Have you checked out how this all happens? I'll get you up to speed if you don't know what's going on. But there's this sort of rage with teenagers right now to take videos and put them on TikTok. And what they want to do is they, they decide they're going to gang attack somebody. They're going to gang attack one person in the school, kick them and beat them, and have their friends videotape that beating. And then they assemble it together, they put it on TikTok and try and see how many views they can get. They can be famous on TikTok. And then what they do is they get all their other friends together into the comment section and talk about how we hate you, we can't stand you, you should kill yourself. Freshman girl in New Jersey, just totally targeted that way, out of the blue. Kicked, beaten, social media, everything. Two days later, she committed suicide. How would you like to be part of that group? Would you like to say, oh, I didn't kick her. I just videotaped her. Oh, I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't stop it. Really? Trust me, it will come back to bite you if you're part of that group. Right now, there's a number of teenagers that are being drawn up on, uh, in charges from the police because of what they did to her. Not only that, but I found it even more interesting is they had a community meeting in New Jersey, and you ought to hear the outrage of the parents Imagine being a teenager that was part of that, now living in that community with the entire community furious at what you did to a student in high school. As I said, choose your friends carefully. If they're making poor choices, if they're making sinful choices, get as far away from it as possible. Do not be associated with it because it will come back around to bite you too. That's wisdom. Here's some more practical words on this. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You hang out with people who have bad moral choices, you will eventually make bad moral choices. That's just the way it works. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, many of us have heard this verse for a while, but I don't think many of us understand the significance of this verse because it's based on two Hebrew words, the one that is translated in the English companions and the other that is translated in the English as friends. And they're meant to play off of one another. It says there's a man of many companions who will come to ruin. That Hebrew word for companions literally means surface friendships. It's talking about a person who wants to be really popular with other people. We call this Facebook friends. We call this social media friends, the selfie friends. Everybody knows me. Everybody loves me. If that's what you're trying to pursue in life, being super popular with everybody, 
the future for you is most likely going to be ruined. But then it says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that Hebrew word for friend at that point is extremely important. It literally means a close friend, a loyal friend, a friend who knows you as you truly are and you can trust them to speak the truth. What this is comparing is, if you're a person that's pursuing all kinds of popularity and surface friendships, ruin will be in your future. But if you're a person who's pursuing a couple friendships, deep friendships, godly friendships, that'll be incredibly beneficial to you because they will love you enough to be able to tell you the truth about things they see in you that, let's just say, are maybe ungodly or unhelpful, where surface friendships will never do that for you. When I was studying this, I thought to myself about when I got married to my wife, Cindy, you're a 25-year-old guy, you know, you think everything's pretty cool and I've got my act together and then I get married and I have a friend who is now really close to me who really knows me and who really loves me and she gently pointed out to me a few things about my life and the choices I was making and the way I lived that were a little bit, should we say, unattractive. Guys, any, any of you have a wife like that? Yeah, amen. Guys are going, amen. I know that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she had a long list. Yeah, but, you know, but isn't that good? Isn't it good to have a friend like that that loves you, that trusts, that you can trust when they speak and they speak to you in a loving and careful way? If all you want is surface friendships, you will never have that. Last one for you in this section. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You want to be a wise person? Find wise people to hang out with, and you'll become just like them. It rubs off. Fourth quality of a wise person. A wise person learns self-discipline. Proverbs 5, 23. It says this. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Self-discipline is the ability to say no. Wise people learn to say no. They don't just always say yes. Because if you can't learn to say no to things, you will die. I think about this when it comes to drinking. Some people will say, well, is drinking wrong? Technically, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, but it may be an unwise choice. Because somewhere along the line, you've got to learn to say no. You've got to learn to get away from it. Because otherwise, it'll get a hold of you and it won't let go. I think about people who are dabbling in drugs. Oh, it's just a light drug. It's just pot. It's nothing that's super addictive. You need to learn to say no. Because it'll get a hold of you. And it'll keep you. And it won't let you go. So you need to learn to say no. And by the way, this idea of sinful choices having a way of grabbing us and holding us when we don't even see it coming, that's also found in Proverbs. Proverbs 5.22. It says, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. Sin has a way of putting its tentacles on you. And it gets a hold of you and it won't let go of you. And it's very difficult, much harder to get out of sinful choices than it is to get into sinful choices, right? That's the way it works. So a wise person says, hey, I have to learn self-discipline. I lead to learn to say no and steer away from these things. Now there's one particular area the Bible talks about where it says we must learn self-discipline and the ability to say no. And that is sexual self-discipline. Proverbs talks about this extensively. Folks, it is only inside of the safety of a marriage, of a commitment for better or for worse, for richer or for more, till sickness and in health, till death do us part, that our sexuality can safely and joyfully be expressed. Understand this. God created your sex drive. God gave you your sex drive. It is meant to be a blessing for you. 
It is meant to be a joy for you, a delight for you. But the only place it'll be a blessing, joy, and delight is in the safety of a lifelong commitment to a spouse. When it's taken out of that commitment and it's used in other ways, the guarantee is it will ruin you, not build you up. Sexuality in marriage builds a couple up, but as soon as that sexuality leaves the marriage and with somebody else, it will tear that couple down and destroy a life. And that's exactly what Proverbs says. Proverbs 6.32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Now you may say, well, where does, okay, I need self-control. Maybe I need to learn more sexual self-control. How do I get self-control? The Bible tells us that self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22. It is when we are walking with Christ, we are actually spending time in God's Word, we have our finger in the text, we are taking time to pray and talk to God about our life and about our sin and confessing that to Jesus. It is when we're part of a church where we have brothers and sisters in Christ who can hold us accountable and encourage us. All of a sudden, self-control starts to get stronger in our life. It rises up in our life, and we lend the ability to say no. And folks, let me tell you one of the ways this works. When we are walking with Christ, the Holy Spirit works supernaturally in our heart, giving us a disgust for things like sexual sin rather than a joy for things like sexual sin. The Holy Spirit changes the orientation of your inner world when you walk with him. That's the way it works. Let me read this one extended section from Proverbs about the importance of keeping our sexuality inside of a marriage covenant. And I think it's just really well done. Of course, it's a scripture. It's going to be well done. Proverbs 5, 15 through 23. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are always before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. God is watching and the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin, and he dies for lack of discipline. There it is. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. So wisdom, is a, a point of wisdom is we develop self-discipline. The next point is this, number five. A wise person watches their words. Proverbs 4.24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. A wise person tells the truth. A foolish person always bends the truth. Proverbs 6.12, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. When you find people in society who can't tell the truth and who are always bending the truth, the scriptures say that's a worthless person. A valuable person is someone you can trust to always speak the truth to you and always be honest with you. If a person can't be honest for you, with you, the Bible calls them a worthless person. That's pretty strong words, but it's direct. Matthew 15, 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. If you're struggling because you know that you bend the truth in your words, the best way to start to tell the truth with your words is to make sure you're telling yourself the truth in your head. Because if in your mind you start to practice how you can cut the corners, start to practice how you can not say all the truth, if you role play that stuff in your mind, it very quickly becomes 
what we real play out of our mouth with our life. So in our heads, the best thing to do is practice telling the truth. Commit to telling the truth. And when we get under pressure, what will we do? Tell the truth and not slip into a lie. Proverbs 10.18 says this, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. These next few verses are sort of just a shooting in a bunch of different directions here, but I think there's just a lot of wisdom in this. If you're a person who uses your mouth to slander others and to cut down others and to demean others and to belittle others, the Bible says that you are a complete fool. I think about that with regard to a lot of the social media we have out there. You ever see when somebody makes a comment or makes a post, and then you have, like on the public forums, all these people who just slam them right under the comment, in the comment section, just say all kinds of nasty and bad things about them? The Bible says they're foolish people. Don't believe them. Don't listen to them. Don't even follow them. They're fools. The Bible says this about our words. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 let no corrupting, that is rotten, talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Our words are only to be used to build people up, not to tear people down. Our words should be used to bless people, not to hurt people. Super important. This is a Christian distinctive. This is the distinctive of a wise person. And some of you must say, well, what happens if somebody does something wrong? Am I not supposed to say anything? No, you can talk to them, but you talk to them in a positive way, not a demeaning way. You don't turn around and say, yo, idiot, didn't you realize what you did? That's a foolish way of doing it. A loving person talks with people in a positive way. Here's another one, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent, that is wise. Anybody ever get upset and just go off? Nobody? You're all lying. Yeah, like everybody, right? We have all get upset about something and we go off and our mouth just runs. And the Bible says, by the way, when you do that, when you're done, I guarantee you, you're going to be sinning with your mouth. It just happens. We don't put a filter right here. We don't put a gate right here. When we're upset, sometimes the best thing to do is take a breath and walk away. Think about what we're going to say. Think about how we're going to say it. Then say it very clearly, gently, but truthfully and directly. That's the wisest way when we're upset to handle things. Here's another one. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are you someone who, when somebody does something or says something, you have those quick sarcastic comments? Just like, right there. Just comes naturally. The Bible says you use those comments, you speak that way, you're a foolish person. Use your tongue to bring healing to people. Don't use your tongue to bring hurting to people. Use your tongue to build them up not to tear them down. That's just not the good way to live. That's the wise way to live. Here's another one, Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, that stirs up anger. That's a verse I use all the time in my premarital counseling times because I tell a couple, you know, you guys are lovey-dovey right now. But I'll tell you, the person you love the most also has the potential to hurt you the most. True? And there'll be a time when she may get upset with you and say something very hurtful to you. And the foolish guy says, oh, you think you're mad. Wait till you see how mad I am. And he ratchets it up. And then what happens, guys? Does she like sit there and say nothing? No, she's like, oh, you think you're mad. I'll make it even worse and it just goes right up the ladder. That's the way foolish people fight. Wise people. Wise people use those that a soft answer turns away wrath. And when I'm in my premarital counseling times, I get on the guys and I say, you are the head of the home. You are responsible for the relational temperature in the home. 
If your wife is angry at you and she says something hurtful to you, it is your responsibility to speak to her gently, to speak to her kindly, and speak to her lovingly, and bring the temperature down. Well, that hurt me. I don't care. Be the man. You're responsible for that. That's what the Bible says. Number six, a wise person works hard. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I like the way the writer of Proverbs looks at the ant and he says, now who's driving that ant? Who's the boss of that ant? Who's directing that ant to work so hard? Nobody. Do you notice the ants are self-motivated and they work really, really hard. And then he says, don't you be lazy. You be self-motivated. You work really hard. And let me be honest with you. Today, in this world, most people are lazy. Most people have no self-motivation. You want to get ahead in life? All you need to do right now is work hard and be self-motivated. And you'll just float to the top. You know, just go right to the top of the pack because there are so few hard-working, driving people out there today. They're lazy. The book of Proverbs says, work super, super hard. Here's some more about this. Proverbs 26, 13 through 14. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. Oh, there's a lion in the street. And as a door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. You know what this means? Lazy people come up with lame excuses for why they can't get out of bed and go to work. Lions don't hang around city streets. Lions are outside in the fields and in the jungles. It's a lame excuse. Get out of bed and go to work. Proverbs 10, 4 through 5. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent, that's the hardworking, makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but a son who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So this picks up the same theme, that a wise person is a very hardworking person, but this actually takes it a step further. And I think this is very appropriate because we have a number of farmers among us. Farmers, there's this thing called harvest season, right? And in harvest season, you don't just work hard, you work super crazy hard. I know a number of you farmers, you work around the clock in harvest season because there's a limited window of time to get in the crop. So you put the pedal all the way to the metal and you go. And the Bible says, that's wise. That's a wise person. You want to find sleep? Do it after harvest. You need to know when to put your, the pedal down. Now, this past week, I was talking to my middle son. He's 25. Today's his birthday, by the way. Um, he works at Ames. He works at a knife sharpening plant. He manages the plant, has a number of employees. And when I was talking to him, it was the next evening, and he said, Dad, it was a long day. I said, well, how long? He said, it was 18 hours, and they are 18 hours working. 18 hours? Well, what had happened was the knives had come in from the slaughterhouses, and the workers had done their portion, but there was a whole bunch of extra knives. So he just stayed all the way through, kept sharpening knives, went home at 4 a.m. I said, that, that's a long day. He said, Dad, sometimes you have to work really hard to get the job done. I was like, I just read that. You're going to be an illustration on Sunday. Perfect. You know, but that's what a wise person does. They know sometimes you have to work extra, extra hard. One last one. Number seven, a wise person manages their money. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs says, by the way, the first thing to understand about our money is it's not our money. God is the one who has given us our money. 
and you want to begin to live a wise life financially, a blessed life financially, you begin by honoring God with the first fruits of your wealth, giving back to him, and then trusting him to take care of you. In fact, it says here, he will do more than take care of you. He will richly provide for you if you put him first and you give to him first in your financial situation. What an amazing promise. The fool says, I can't honor the Lord with my wealth. The wise person says, I want to honor the Lord with my wealth, and I have a God that I can trust to take care of me. So as we look at the big picture, wise Christians use two lenses when they make choices in life. Not just the first lens that says, is this a sinful choice or an acceptable choice, but they use also a second lens where they then ask this question, is this choice a wise choice or is this a foolish choice? Because I want to pursue making wise choices. Because making wise choices Choices is better than all the wealth in the world. Now, what do wise choices look like? Remember, number one, it begins by fear of God. God exists, and I'm accountable to him, and I want to please him. Number two, we guard our mind. I don't just pour into my head all the filth that's out there on the internet. I protect my mind. Number three, I choose my friends carefully because I will become like them. Number four, I discipline myself to stay away from sin, especially sexual sin, because it'll destroy my life. Number five, I watch my words. My words should always be building people up, not tearing people down. Only fools use their words to slander others. Number six, I learn to work hard. I learn to work really, really hard, because that's a rarity in our culture. But wise people do that. And number seven, I honor God with my wealth, putting him first in my finances, giving back to him a portion of what he's given me, trusting him, knowing that he promises to more than provide for everything I need when I do that. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this last W, this W about wisdom. May we be a church filled with Christians who pursue making wise choices in life, not living as fools in this life. May we be people who are very careful about what we think and read and look at, people who are very careful with those we call our close friends, friends that only build us up and not tear us down. May we be people who um, have self-discipline in our life and self-discipline in our choices, learning to say no, and only pursuing those things that are good. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us in so many things. May we live wisely, joyfully, and thankfully to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. A complete archive of sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thank you for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.